Parshat Titzaveh, otherwise known as Parshas Titzaveh. Okay? First of all, um, we're going to dedicate this Parsha to a few people. First of all, tonight's Parsha and children. Very important. Uh, at Yeshiva Adarite is dedicated by Paul Generowitz in memory of Leib Generowitz, who was his grandfather. He is the great-grandfather of Mark Generowitz, who was a uh, Talmud here, I think year five, maybe year six. Uh, dentist now, fantastic guy. And the great-great-grandfather of little Leib Zalman Generowitz. He's a, a right grandchild, right? So, to be Lilui Nishmato. Um, and I also, uh, I've been thinking about uh, Daniel Ben Shimon of Paris's son, who is still missing. They know he was wounded. They still have had no word from him. I cannot begin to imagine. He runs a, a, an organization. He's all over the world. How do you function with your son? And you don't know where he is. We should just, we should continue to dive in for him. He should be safe. He should come home soon, Bezrat Hashem, all along with all the hostages. Um, and lastly, I want to mention Hananya Yosef Ben Tova. Hanani Yosef Ben Tova um, uh, was in a car. I mentioned him earlier today. And he realized that uh, there was a terrorist shooting this morning uh, on, near Malaya Dumim. And he basically jumped out of the car. He, he was a soldier. He, had a, he was on his way to a job in security. He had a pistol on him. And, uh, you know, he got out of Khan Yunis like two weeks ago after months of Miluim. And he was He charged the terrorist. And he succeeded in uh, neutralizing, which is a nice word for killing the terrorist. Uh, he got shot in the stomach and the leg. I understand Baruch Hashem, he had surgery and he's going to be okay. Uh, but okay means now he has to deal with the stomach and the leg wound. So we should dive him for him and this year should be that he should have a refuah along with the other six um, uh, uh, people who were wounded in today's attack. And of course, uh, you know, the victim who was killed by the terrorists today that we wish Nechama to his family. So many years ago, um, at one of the uh, Azkarot, at one of the uh, memorial services for Benji, for my cousin who was killed in the Second Lebanon War that I mentioned earlier, um, I think it was the 10th anniversary. So they wanted to get a special speaker. You know, they always have a speech. They, they go to the Beit Kvarot. There's unfortunately uh, thousands and thousands of people who have developed a routine on a particular day of the year around the yard site of their son who fell in battle or uh, on Yom HaZikaron. And every year we go to the Kever, it's in July, and there's a there's a, a military service. The army always sends someone. There's a I could do the service now by heart. And then we go back to Bai Benji, which is a lone soldier's home that they built in his memory. And there's a, somebody gives a lecture or a shear or whatever it is. I've done it a couple of times. And then um, uh, yeah. And then we talk and we we're with the family. And so this particularly they wanted to get some serious. So they they got Boogie Alon to come. Boogie Alon was an ex Ramatkal, chief of staff of the Israeli army. He was defense minister. I could talk about him for half an hour. He's a legendary figure and an incredible leader and role model. Um, one of those rare individuals who was at one point very, very left-wing. And after uh, he saw what happened in Oslo, um, and then the, first, uh, the, second, the second intifada, he realized that he'd been wrong. And he, he changed his stripes. He wrote a public letter to you know, the mitnachalim, the, those who call themselves right-wing, that the left-wing calls settlers and whatever else it might be. And he said, you know, we have to admit when we're wrong. He was wrong. And he has a different perspective there. And he spoke about leadership. And maybe sometime this year we'll, we'll have a shear on leadership and I'll quote some of what he said, which is pretty powerful. But at one point in the evening he told the story. He was at the time Machat of Tzalchanim. He was the brigade commander of the paratroopers. And they were up in Lebanon. And uh, there was a roadside bomb. Right? The Hezbollah 
Pigua, instead of a bomb, injured some people, whatever. It happened to be that he was right in that area. He was really nearby. So, of course, they went straight to the scene. When he got there, and he had a gashash, uh, the Israeli army relies on trackers, Bedouin trackers, Jews trackers. That's a story in and of itself. These guys are unbelievable. Uh, maybe I'll tell you sometime about a guy named Mabulu. My mom saved my life. But um, because he had a tracker with him, but because they were right there, the, the pigou had happened like literally two minutes earlier. So the tracker looked at the footprints and he said, well, they left on foot and they're not far. So he had to make a decision. Does, does, he, does he do what you normally do in Irua? You close off the area, you call in more kachot, more forces, there could be terrorists that are still in the area, it's dangerous, protect, whatever. Or do you begin a chase? Do you begin a mirdaf? He decided, the commander on scene gets to decide that they're going to do a mirdaf. So they gather whatever forces they have and they begin to chase these terrorists. And the terrorists realize that they're gaining on them, right? They also went on foot, right? Uh, so they hid. And basically, when they got close to the terrorists, the terrorists opened fire on them. And thank God he was wearing a shakhbatz, a vest, but he was wounded. He was hit in between the, the folds of the vest and he was wounded in the chest. And they had to helicopter him to the hospital. So, because he was in the hood, he was in the front, right? And that's what a leader does. That's, you know, in the Israeli army, they tell you, you know, acharai, that's a, a motto that's up on the wall in Badakhar, an officer's course. You know, we don't lead from behind, we lead from the front. Right? You have to motivate your men to follow you. But he was, I mean, he was a brigade commander. Normally, a brigade commander isn't in front of their troops because that's dangerous. You need a brigade commander. So he was in the hospital, and he was being interviewed later that day. They wanted he was okay, he had surgery, whatever. And somebody asked him, well, what were you doing in the Chod? Why were you in the front of this unit? And he looked at them and he said, well, where else would I be? What is a leader? What is a leader? Now you might think to yourself, this is a funny topic. What does it have to do with Parshas Tetzaveh? We're going to talk about the Mishkan and the Menorah and the Big Day Kahuna. So I want to share with you an idea, Okay. I'm going to ask you five questions based on the first Pasuk of Tetzaveh. Okay? Viata Tetzaveh. Who's talking to who? Hashem is talking to? Moshe. Viata Tetzaveh Bnei Israel. I want you to command the Jewish people. They should take to you Shemen Zayit Zach. Right? Olive oil that is Zach, that is pure. It's the first drop from each olive. Has no Shmarim Rashi says. This is the purest of the pure oil. Katit, lavor. It's going to be for the light in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, later in the base of Mikdash. Le'alot ner tamid, right? Because there always has to be a flame lit in the in the base of Mikdash, in the Mishkan, right? Okay. So, first question. What is the obvious question? It will take to you shemen zaytzach. What's the question? Take the oil to you. What? Well, okay, they're going to take the oil from wherever you get oil. They get olives, and they have an olive press, and they make oil. Why does it say what? For you. Yeah, why is it taking it to Moshe? Take it to the base of Mikdash. Take it to the Mishkan. <laughs> or just say, Vikhu Shemen Zaytzach. Why say, Vikhu Elecha? Take it to you. Number one. Number two. What does it not mention? Very interesting. What is this for? All this oil. We're going to... We're going to light. What are we going to light? The menorah. But the menorah is not mentioned here. By the way, it's interesting. Sometimes the value of um, you know, a new group of students coming every year, you get to learn, is that every once in a while somebody asks something or says something that just, you realize, huh, never thought that, like, 
we get so used to things, we forget that, that, that it's a question. So the Zandar Rebbe points out, you know, what is this? To so the Ner Tamid. Right? Now, what's a Ner Tamid? So this is not what we're going to talk about, it, but I'll bring it up because it's mentioned here. Ner Tamid is the eternal flame, right? We have a Ner Tamid here. Okay, when you leave the basement at night, in case you didn't know this, you're supposed to make sure that the Ner Tamid is on. You can turn off the lights, but the Ner Tamid is on. And if you have another light on, that's fine. So where was the Ner Tamid in the Mishkan and in the basement? Pardon? Nope. There was no Ner Tamid. The Ner Tamid is the menorah. The eternal flame is the menorah. There's not a separate candle. We have a Ner Tamid to remember the menorah. And by the way, the Ner Tamid of the Mishkan and the Beis Mikdash wasn't necessarily a non-stop light that could never go out. It wasn't like passing the torch and the torch should never go out. It meant that there was always, the menorah was always lit. It was lit in the morning, it was lit at night. It would go out in the middle of the night, you lit it again in the morning. If it never went out, how could you light it? They had a mitzvah to light it every day, right? Okay. Although there is a Hasidic opinion which is based on, I don't know what, but whatever, another time. It's Hasidus, right? Okay. So why doesn't it mention the menorah? Also, what is this oil for, right? What does it not say here? It doesn't say, and you shall light the menorah. Pay attention. You should take the, 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 the oil, right? To offer up this flame, right? It's basically talking about It's about preparing the wicks. In fact, it's interesting. Who does this? Kohanim. If, if a levy wants to light the menorah, can you light the menorah? Absolutely. Even though we're knowing that a coin lights the menorah, right? But a coin doesn't have to light the menorah. However, a coin has to prepare the wicks. Very interesting. No one else but a coin is allowed to prepare the wicks. But a head yod could actually light the menorah. That's why, by the way, there's a menorah here. And the menorah is built and the menorah is ready. It's an interesting debate. You need a basic mikdash, but you don't need a coin. Right? You could theoretically... That's an interesting discussion, debate, but I'm not going to get into it. Right? So why is it all about preparing the wicks? Why don't we talk about the menorah? Menorah is not mentioned, right? And why doesn't it say, listen, we're going to get to Hanukkah again. You'll all be here because of course everybody's staying Shanabat, right? And what are we going to do, right? We're going to make a bracha. That's all we say here. What do we say? Lehaalotner. To raise up the candle. Now, on a pshat level, contextually, what this actually meant is that the kohen would come and he had to clean out the shmutz. He had to clean out the shmutz from the, from the menorah. People don't appreciate the shmutz in the menorah. Let me tell you a story to appreciate the shmutz in the menorah. We're going to go to... Uh, who here is going to be on the seminar? Okay, so the seminar guys, we're going to take a very special seal. If you like Masada, wait till you do the gush with me. We're going to go to the gush. And in the Gush, we're going to hear the story of the fall of the Gush. A terrible story. 1948, you know. What are Jews? What's, what's a day in Israel without a good massacre story, right? But okay, right? Never. Very difficult story. And, uh, and the Gush fell. And then in 67, the survivors, the children, they came back and they rebuilt the Gush. And that's where I live today, Baruch Hashem. Right? Rav Blau lives there. Rav Noam lives there. Rav Judah lives there. Thank God they built the Gush. So right, they're going to remain. Okay. About... Uh, I don't know, some years after they rebuilt the Gush, um, a fellow showed up in Kfar Etzion. There was a kibbutz member who was actually a cardiologist. And he worked in Adasa. 
And he had done an open heart surgery on someone and saved his life. Which in today is a big deal. But you can imagine that, that 40 years was a very big deal. For a person to survive open heart surgery back then was a huge deal. So he wanted to do something for him to say thank you to him. So he was from a kfar, he was in a village, a local village, not far from Kfaratian. Okay? Um, and this was one of the villages that had ransacked Kfaratian after the Jordanian Legion took it over. And he wanted to bring them something back. So he brought them a menorah, a Chanukiah. And this Chanukiah, right, a couple of survivors recognized this. This was a Chanukiah they knew which family it was from. This was a Chanukiah from Kfaratian from 1948. So you can imagine, that's pretty powerful. That the Chanukiah survived, right? And they wanted to put it in the museum. So Sandy, the person who really sort of founded the museum in Kfaratian, she was actually story in and of itself but not for now she walks in one morning and she you know the menorah and there was a she would lumigo somebody wanted to clean the menorah because the Hanukkah was coming right so she starts to clean out the menorah and Sandy suddenly sees what she's doing she says what are you doing she says I'm cleaning out the menorah she goes you don't understand that wax schmutz that's in there that's what's left of the candles that they lit here the last time that they lit Hanukkah in 1948 and all of those people aren't with us. This is what we have of them. Don't clean out the schmutz. Trumas Adeshin, right? Powerful. So the Kohen cleaned the schmutz and prepared the wick. Okay. Why do we say la lot ner tamid? And what's a ner tamid? All right? And one last question. Very interesting. What's missing from Parshas Tetzavah? Most of you know this. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's name is nowhere in the Parsha. Now that's an interesting question. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu's name nowhere to be found in the Parsha? Why don't we... Now, the Balaturim... Ravavad Yosef, by the way, has a, has a, has a cute little vart. Ravavad Yosef says, right? The Balaturim says... Right, the Balaturim was Rav Yaakov Ibn Turim. He was the son of the Rush. He wrote the Torah. It was based huge. And everybody studies the Torah, but not everybody says the Balaturim. The Balaturim says it like this. Lo iskir Moshe b'zeh seder. Right? Moshe's not mentioned in this Parsha. Everywhere else in the Chumash, you find Moshe's name except for in this parsha. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu and Chet Egel, and by the way, it's an easy pasuk remember. Perak Lamed Bet, pasuk Lamed Bet. It's the heart of the matter. Late, right? Okay, so that's what you remember. If you need to find it. Mechenina, write me out from your wipe me out from your book. If you're going to destroy the Jewish people, then wipe me out. A tzaddik says something. It's like a decree. It has to be partially fulfilled. So Hashem decided that in this parsha, Moshe's name is not going to be as a partial fulfillment of being wiped out of the name. Right? Okay. So Ravavad Yosef says, he says, Mechenina misifrecha, Sefer Kaf, the 20th Kaf is 20, right? It's a gematria of 20. It's the 11th letter. Right? The 20th book. Tetzaveh is the 20th parsha. So therefore, in this parsha, whatever. Right? Okay, the Vilna Gaon, by the way, says, Anybody know why, why Davka Parshas Tetzava? Because Parshas Tetzava almost always falls on the week of Zayin Adar, which happened this week as well. This week was Zayin Adar Aleph. Uh, many, most poskim say that the Yortzeit is kept in the in Adar Aleph, right? So therefore, this week was the Yortzeit of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? So how appropriate that the, the, the so that's kind of funny, the Parsha, the week that he was Nifter, that he left the world, is the week that we have a parsha where Moshe's left. He's not there. But the obvious question is, well, why this parsha? 
what about Parashat Tzavah? Why did Hashem work this out this way? What is Parashat Tzavah? What is this here? Right? So the truth is, Lubavitcher Rebbe makes a good point. It's incorrect to say that Moshe is not in this parsha. In fact, it's the opposite. Moshe is so in this parsha, he's in this parsha more than anybody else. Because how does the parsha start? The parsha starts, Ve'ata tetzaveh. Who is Ata? Is Moshe. Okay? And if you look carefully, you will find this repeats itself, right? Um, uh, another example, Ve'ata ha'kreve'lecha daronachicha. Moshe in this, thank you very much. Moshe in this, in this week, is Ata. Now, what's the difference between you and your name? Your name is not who you are. Your name is just a designation of who you are. In fact, the only one who doesn't need your name is you. Like, I don't call myself Benny. It's not a name I use naturally. I've been enjoying calling Rabini Davis. Rabini, it's nice. I get to say Rabini, right? But it's not a normal thing I would say. Because I don't need my name. Because I'm me. The you, the Ata, is the essence of who Moshe is. Which, of course, begs the question, well, what about this parsha is the essence of Moshe Rabbeinu? Like, what is this? Well, what's going on here? So the truth is, it's not difficult to figure out. What does this parsha introduce? Last week, we read parsha Chuma. I'm putting aside for a moment, is this before Chet Egel, after Chet Egel? That's a whole interesting discussion. Maybe we'll do that in Kitiza. But let's say for right now, just in terms of a topic that we have not encountered before. Last week was building the Mishkan. Now you have a Mishkan. What do you need? Big day kahunas here, right? What's really going on here? This is the first time we're introduced to Kohanim. This is the introduction to the concept of the kahuna. And this is what Moshe Rabbeinu says. Right? Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, beginning of Perek Havchet, Ve'ata, you, hakrev elecha et Bring your brother. This is such a beautiful pasuk. The whole kahuna starts with being karov, and it's two brothers. And Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to bring Aaron close. There's a there's a depth of brotherhood in this parsha that people miss. The kohen is supposed to be the kahuna begins from literally within the Jewish people. So in this parsha, the kuhuna is introduced. This is all about Aaron. Now you would think, Moshe Rabbeinu, he's the man. He comes down to Egypt, he's the Navi, he takes them out of Egypt, the ten plagues, Har Sinai, he's going to lead them through the desert, and all of a sudden, he's left out. And yet, there is not a smidgen, there is not a remez in this parsha that Moshe Rabbeinu struggles with this question at all. In this parsha, Moshe says, this is not my parsha, I'm going to take a back seat. What a beautiful idea. Which makes sense, because what is the essence of Moshe Rabbeinu? What is, if you had to pick the character trait that typifies Moshe Rabbeinu, he is, he is the anav. He's not just the anav. There is no anav that ever was or ever will be like Moshe Rabbeinu. What does it mean to be an anav? To be an anav means that you understand that you're a vehicle, you're a clean, you're a vessel. 
You know why the menorah is not mentioned? Why the, why the menorah is not mentioned here? Menorah is this big grandiose thing, but it's just a vessel. The point is not the menorah. The point is the light. We get all caught up in the menorah. We, you and I, we're the menorah. We're, we're supposed to be a vessel for light, and sometimes we get too full of ourselves. It's all about the menorah. What's my title? What's my job? How much am I earning? Do I have a bigger house? Did I get a better degree? What are you studying? Are you a menorah or are you a vehicle for light? And in this parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu takes a step back because it's not about him. It's about something that's so much bigger than him. Right? Now what's fascinating about this is there are two primary roles in Judaism. There is the Kohen and there is the Navi. And the truth is there are four roles. There's also the Melech and the Shofet, right? And the Shofet by Mimahim. But Melech and Shofet are barely mentioned in the Torah. Melech comes up as a concept in Parsha Kitavo, you know, Kitavo Laaretz, right? The Torah, which is before Eretz Israel, does not talk much about Malchus. And the Shofet also. You know, Dayanim, Judges, Vinigash Elohim. But the mainstays, and who's the head of the Bezdin, is Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's the Navi. So the two main roles are the Navi and the Kohen. Now what's the difference between a Navi and a Kohen? This is interesting. So the Navi, and, and there are a lot of authors who write about this, this Fasemus talks about, by Sachs has some magnificent articles on this topic. The Navi is a person of drama. He takes the world by storm. He's Elio a Navi. Yelling at the people in Harakamel, If I asked you to quote something from Moshe Rabbeinu, I'll bet you half of the Sibur could come up with the least possible quote from Moshe Rabbeinu. But Aaron, Aaron doesn't talk much. Aaron is much quieter. You know? The Navi, he was unafraid to challenge the people and kings. He was the, he was the, the moral conscience of the nation. He, he challenges society. And, and he is a powerful influence on society. The prophets of the Jewish people have changed the world. Yirmiyahu Navi, Yishayahu Navi, right? The words of these prophets are carved on walls in the greatest capitals of, of the world. The Kohanim? I'll bet most people here can't come up with a name of more than one or two coins. Rabbi Shmal Kohen Gadol. You know? Aaron Kohen, Nadav, Aviyu, Elazar. We don't know the Kohanim's names. But Malachim, David, and Shaul, and, 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 and Tzidkiyahu, and, and Yoshiyahu, and Yehoyachin, there's so many Malachim. But the coin, the coin's a quieter figure, right? He's, he's apolitical, he's out of the spotlight. We are told to be a Mamlechet Kohanim, a kingdom of Kohanim. We're going to see why in a second. We're never told to be a Mamlechet Nevi'im, to be a kingdom of prophets, right? In fact, it's interesting. In, in, in Bamidbar, in uh, Balot, I think, right? There's a famous story of Eldad and Medad. That's a fascinating topic. Eldad, Medad, from the Dad, to the Dad. We're going to talk about that some other time. But, but these two individuals weren't picked, right? There were supposed to be 70 elders. They drew lots, six tribes, time, so it ends up 72. So there's two extra, they stayed back in the camp. And they're not supposed to be in the camp, they're in the Vian. They're supposed to be with Moshe. They're supposed to get it from Moshe. They're just uh, doing their thing. 
And Yeshua gets very upset. And Rabbi Moshe, Klaim, lock him up. What are we going to do with him? And Moshe Rabbeinu says, Like, would that everybody could be a Navi? That I said that the spirit, right? That the Nevuah comes to a person because of who he is, not by birth, right? We're, but we're not all supposed to be Nevi'im. They're very rare Nevi'im. Now, the Navi is very different from the Kohen in a lot of other ways. The Kohen is a dynasty, it's inherited from father to son, which can create certain problems. But the Navi, Nevuah is a meritocracy. In fact, Moshe's sons do not inherit. His position, Yoshua does. Right? Each Navi had a unique and powerful personality. The Kohanim wasn't about their personality. It's actually not about who you are. It's about what you do. Right? There's no uniform for a Navi. If you walked by a Navi in, in the time, he looked like everybody else. You wouldn't even know he was a Navi. But a coin? If a coin has one tear in his clothing, a whole parasha would talk about his clothing. The coin was isolated. He was in the base of Mikdash. He was separate from the people. He was a model from afar. The Navi, the Navi was Vitocham. He was amongst the people. Right? He was a shepherd. Moshe was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Right? He was a farmer. Elisha was a farmer. They worked. And when they weren't in a moment of Nebuah, they were working like everybody else. They weren't constantly in a Right? The Navi is all about the spoken word. And the Kohen is all about silent ritual. In fact, when you go to meet the Kohen, you're the one who's talking. Right? Beginning of Kitavo, you say the whole thing of Bikurim, that's what you say. He just accepts the Bikurim. Right? There were all sorts of restrictions on a Kohen. Who he could marry, what he could do. The Kohen was all about ritual and structure. Every minute of every day of every Mishmeret, what time you wake up in the morning and where you go and what you do and what you wear and, and, and what you think and how to make sure you don't touch anything that's wrong. The Navi, the Navi was all about spontaneity, about making it meaningful. There was no ritual to Nevoah. The words of the Navi and the words of the Koran were very different. The Kohen's words are Kodesh and Chol, Tamei and Tahor. The words of the, of, of, of the Navi, Tzedek o Mishpat, Chesed Rachamim. The Kohen was about creating a ritual of habits that we could live by day by day. And, and the Navi was about making it meaningful, about changing the way we think. And I'll tell you something else. Rav Soloveitchik has a magnificent article, and we don't have time to get into it, but I'll give you one minute's worth, in which he defines the two primary roles in Jewish leadership. Some of us have talked about this before in Q&As. And these are the Rav and the Rebbe. Now, who was the primary Rav of the Jewish people? Moshe Rabbeinu. Who was the primary Rebbe? Aaron. The Rav, Moshe Rabbeinu, is up on Mount Sinai. He's up on our scene. He's talking to God. He's so high, you can't even see him. He's hidden in the clouds. And when he comes down, you can't look at his face. He has to leave the Machane. He has to be in a tent outside the camp. <coughs> the Rebbe... He's not up on our Sinai. Aaron is down below. He's in the schmutz, in the middle of Chet Ego with the rest of us. And while you can't look at Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron is coming up next to you to give you a hug. He's the Oiv Shalom and the Rodev Shalom. 
Now, what's the fundamental difference between the Rav and the Rebbe? The Rav is the Isha Halacha. He's a man of intellect. The Rebbe is the Isha Neshama. He's a man of the soul. The Rav is the person you go to when you're not sure halachically if you can do business with someone. The Rebbe is the guy you go to when you want to make up with your business partner and you're not sure how to do it. The Rav is the one who tells you whether meat is kosher. The Rebbe is the one who tells you whether you're kosher. Now, obviously, every Rav... You like that line? Obviously, every Rav has to be a little Rebbe, and every Rebbe has to be a little Rav. I'll tell you something interesting. And I learned this the hard way. We were recruiting for a write Lots of people have a Rav. Most people don't have a Rebbe. If you're not sure it's Shemitah year, and you're not sure whether you can eat or what to do, there's a bunch of people you call the Rabbi Yishol. If you can't get in, you call the Rabbi the next show. You can't get in, you call the Rabbi from the Yeshiva you haven't been in touch with, or you go online, you look at the Bible on the computer. You can figure it out. But if you need a Rebbe, if you're broken because your girlfriend dumped you, right? because you were learning the wrong with Sechta, or, <clears throat> or you're suffering, or you had a tragedy, that's the Rebbe. It's unbelievable how many Jews in the world today have no Rebbe. It is the biggest challenge facing the Jewish people. I actually think it's one of the most important goals of this yeshiva, that a boy should leave here with a Rebbe. Not because we need to be Rebbeim, because we all need to have Rebbeim. It is one of the painful aspects of my life that I've, I've lost most of my Rebbeim. Rav Luchadzin's not with us anymore. His Torah is with us. Rav Amitav's not with us anymore. Rav Riskin's getting old. It's very difficult for me. I don't have a person who can be my Rebbe. Very difficult. Don't miss that opportunity to make of someone your Rebbe. Right? And this parsha starts with Torah. You have to bring the Torah to Moshe because that's what, that's what Or is. Kiner mitzvah Torah. Oh, Torah is all about light and light is all about Torah. You have to bring the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu because we need a leadership of Torah. It's something we're missing today. Right? But it's the Kohen who will spread the light. And the goal is tamid. That when we kindle that light, that eventually that light, right? Shibshun Fal Hirsch talks about this, becomes self-sufficient. In fact, Allah says that the Kohen, when he lights the, you know, when he lights the wick, he has to keep his hand there. You ever light a candle and it's not quite lit yet? And then you see the light comes up and you can. You have to light the candle and wait until the light can stand on its own. That's exactly how Torah works. You know, one day next year, when all of you are here, Shana Bet, and you have a younger Shana Al Chavrusa, and you want to show him how he can learn on his own. And you've got to stick with him until he's ready to learn on his own. Right? It has to be a near Tamid. Torah can't be something that just happens at five minutes in the morning. It has to be something that lightens up your life all the time. It has to be the, the lens through which through which you illuminate the world. That's what Torah is about. And I'll finish with one last piece. From, this is a Pasuk in Malachi. Pasuk in Malachi. Malachi was a Navi who lived towards the end of uh, Bait uh, Rishon. And he is castigating the Jewish people. He's one of the Treasire, the 12 prophets that most people don't get to. And he's castigating the Jewish people. And one of the things he's saying is, you're Kohanim. Look how you, you have no Kohanim, you have no Navi. What, what's going on? And he says, what's a Kohen supposed to be? He says, Torah temet He was supposed to have true Torah coming out of his mouth. And, and warped speech would never come out of his mouth. 
He walked with Mrs. Hashem through the Navi in peace. And many did he bring back from iniquity. Not the, not the Navi, the Kohen. Because the lips of the coin will safeguard that knowledge. And Torah will they ask him. And the Radak says here, What does that mean? That he walked on a flatbed? He was the same Derech Yishara of the Rambam. He was a healthy, balanced, ethical role model. It's not about how much shas he knew. It's not whether he knows how to make a cup of tea according to the Shittas Yireim and Yatsal Lettuce Bow. It's whether he understood how to behave. And Rashi here says, V'chein b'maseh ha'egel He'shivu kol shivtechem me'avon She'neemar v'yesfu elav kol b'nei levi What was Aaron doing down below? Moshe Rabbeinu was up there, he was studying Shas. Aaron was down there trying to help the people make, prevent them from making the biggest mistake in their life. Alechem mutal lishmor dat. Now, what does that mean, lishmor dat? So we know this. What is dat? Dat is knowledge. And knowledge is all about relationship. What relationship are we talking about? Our relationship with Hashem. It's the Kohen who succeeds in bringing us to our relationship with Hashem. He models it, he shares it, he struggles with it. Why are we called a Mamlechet Kohanim? We're called a Mamlechet Kohanim because that's our role in the world. Our role in the world is to be a vehicle for the world to understand how to develop a relationship with Hashem. Because you can't have an objective ethic if you don't have a relationship with Hashem. This is what we're going through now in the world. There's an entire portion of the world that have lost their compass. They are off the reservation. They're completely headed in the wrong direction. You know, you have people, I was talking to somebody today who told me that there was an article uh, in the New York Times that the UN has been tasked, right, the United Nebuchadnezzar has been tasked, <laughs> what are you going to do? Has been tasked with, 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 with investigating reports that Israeli soldiers are raping Arab women in, in, in the Gaza camps. How absurd is that? It's, it's unbelievable, the, 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 the sheker, the complete falsehood that you can put out there. This is like the new shita. You know, somebody accused you, this friend of mine was telling me, somebody accused you of something, what do you do now? You just accuse them of the same thing, and then it all gets muddy. No matter how ridiculous it is. What happened to Tzedek? What happened to Mishpat? What happened to Chesed? It's unbelievable. For the first time this week, in 20 days, in three weeks, humanitarian trucks entered northern Aza with sacks of flour. Why did it take three weeks? Because Hamas thinking was stopping the trucks. When they finally <laughs> conquered Khativat Chanyunis, uh, they finally took over, they finally broke that brigade so the trucks could get through and get to the people that they were meant for. And we just have, we assume, of course, we're going to put in humanitarian nature. Now, I'm not talking about that whole debate. That's a legitimate debate. That's what an army does. You're not there to destroy a people, you're there to destroy an organization. How do we find that balance? That's what it means to be a Malachi Kohanim. And this is the beginning of the journey. We got the Torah, what do we do with it? How do we share it? Does it make a difference in the world? Now, we are blessed. We're blessed for this year, maybe for next year, but certainly for this year, to be here sitting and learning Torah in the old city of Yushalayim. Generations of Jews dreamed, they dreamed about what we're going to do. I'm going to take you up on Masada tomorrow, some of you, 
it's, it's mind-boggling to think where we are and where they were. What do we do with that experience? How does it change us? Do we take advantage of it? Do we grab those extra five minutes in the Beit Midrash, that extra piece of chesed we can do in the Rova Square, whatever it might be? That's our challenge. So that's a little bit of food for thought on the part of the